want to do the intro or you want me to do it? No, you go ahead. You did good last time. Welcome to the Clever Kids Podcast, a podcast where normally three brothers talk about pop culture topics that you may or may not care about. And I just want to take a brief moment here to mention that uh, the eldest brother, Tyler, will not be joining us. So today the pop culture will actually consist between two brothers, Brian and Jeff. Brian, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Good morning. Yeah, Tyler's off getting another butt tattoo. So it's just (laughs) going to be uh, Jeff and I today. Um, Hopefully... uh, you know, you guys are excited about that. I know these are typically the best episodes, so, so uh, you know, we'll have some fun. That's right. It's, it's, it's the Brianites versus the Jeffanots again. And uh, what we are talking about, before I, we get into the topics today, I do just want to throw out briefly, uh, for no reason at all, that I am batting a 1,000 on attendance so far, uh, which is the best attendance. I mean, on all of my classes, I usually missed a couple, but you know, when it comes to the podcast, I just want my fans to understand how loyally dedicated I am. That's really timely considering you're probably not going to be on next week's podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week while you're gone, and I'm sure we'll dive into some color there. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yes. So, uh, Brian, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? Uh, we're going to dive into a few topics. Um, right off the bat, I'm going to be diving into the Friends reunion episode. Um, so hopefully some listeners have uh, have caught that. That just was recently released on HBO Max, and, and I got to say, tearjerker. Okay, tearjerker. It's going to have some spoilers. I'm just going to dive into to my overall impression and, and things like that. And uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it. If you've watched Friends, it's I think it's worth uh, getting to see those guys in modern day and and you know how their friendships have lasted. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating watch for it's about two hours. Um, we're going to also talk about our adventures in the forest, uh, video game uh, resource collecting uh, survival video game that Jeff and I decided to fire up uh, because I've been playing a solo version um, called Stranded Deep where you're trapped on an island or a series of islands trying to survive. The forest is multiplayer, so Jeff and I dove into that. Um, We've been spending some time trying to survive the forest. Um, And then we're actually going to dive into the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Uh, We're actually um, finding ourselves regularly in our group thread uh, texting about uh, Jeff will throw plot holes at me uh, from the world of Harry Potter. And I've read the books like, I don't know, nine times each. So I typically try to uh, explain away the plot hole. And I think today we're going to we're going to dive into some HP and uh, and see where we can get with some of these plot holes. We found a few uh, doing some research that I may not even be able to explain away. That is correct. Uh, so yeah, I, I uh, full disclosure, have not watched the Friends reunion. I, of course, I've seen episodes of Friends, but it's not a show that I've gone through and watched end to end. And so it wasn't my priority to dive into Friends reunion. So Brian will be leading that conversation. Um, so uh, yeah, get into it. Tell us all about the Friends reunion and, and why it was as amazing as you say. Yeah, for the uh, listeners who've been living under a rock the last 30 years, uh, Friends, obviously, a TV show from the... Um, gosh, late 90s through, or well, I guess well, most of the 90s through you know, maybe early 2000s. Must have been right at the beginning of the century where they stopped that show. Um, you know, obviously, I don't even know if I need to introduce Friends. You all know what Friends is. Jennifer Aniston, David Schwimmer, uh, what the hell is Monica, super hot lady, what's her name? Uh, uh, Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, all of them. 
um, you know, group of friends living in uh, New York, basically just their day-to-day lives and how they coexist and how their friendships kind of last through all these trials that they go through. And it's, it's just a comedy TV show. Uh, one of the greatest of all time, uh, one of the staple reruns that you find on TV today, they decided after 20 years to uh, do a rerun, or not rerun, <laughs> a reunion. Um, and, and basically they brought all six of them back, all the six main characters um, at their current age, and they all sat down and not only did they discuss the show, but they went into some script reading where they went back to some famous scenes and they kind of read the script back to each other. And it was fascinating to see them slip back into their roles to like deliver their lines. And then they would show it in um, next to the, the actual scene where they do it in the show. And it was just amazing to see how quickly they could get back into character. Um, you know, behind the scenes looks like things that happen. Like there was an episode where Joey dove into a chair in a comedy scene and he dislocated his shoulder in real time. And like, they were showing him like struggling with his shoulder and everyone else trying to like take it from the top. And he's like, you know, out of it. It was fascinating to see that kind of stuff. And I actually remembered that episode and they had no idea that he'd actually gotten injured shooting it. So it was kind of fun to see that. And they were talking about different things. Like there's a, you know, a, a support beam in the apartment where they shot their scenes and, and they like had trouble with it in the early seasons because it was always getting in shots and like they ended up having to remove it and figure something out with that. It's absolutely fascinating look into the, this classic show um, and to see these people 20 years later come back and slip right back into their old friendship and you know routines and, and they were all kept marveling at how quickly they slip back into you know how close they are and how much they get along and they were talking about how you know back at the peak of their stardom they were all going to celebrity parties in Hollywood and such and um how they would run into each other at these parties. And then the rest of the night was just kind of a wash. They'd like tell everyone else to hang out like, Hey, like I'm, I'm hanging out with, you know, Courtney Cox tonight, you know, I appreciate it. And then they'd sit there and talk and like the six of them became such close friends and connected so well that, you know, it kind of trumped other friendships and like, it really came out in the show. It was just such a fascinating look at some of that stuff. Um, they also uh, did a little bit of trivia game, which was funny because one of the famous episodes is they, they're, wagering their apartments against each other because you know the girls have the better apartment and the guys want it so they do a trivia game that the boys end up winning and taking their apartment for an episode um so they went back and redid the trivia game which was fun um they had a lot of uh guest appearances for people who were like staples on the show like the at the coffee shop that they spend almost every episode in they have a, a waiter named gunther who was like crushing on jennifer anderson's character the whole time and you know he zoomed in so it was like cool to see him 20 years later um, you know, some of the other guys, Tom Selleck, uh, was a love interest of Courtney Cox's on the show. He popped in to read a trivia question for him, things like that, where like people would slip in to, uh, just make an appearance. Um, they did have one weird spot, which I think has been catching a lot of flack online where they did like a, a fashion show, like a little mini fashion show where they took iconic, um, outfits from the series. And then they had like massive celebrities come out and like, catwalk with them like justin bieber came out in an armadillo costume that uh david schwimmer's ross character wears in a halloween episode justin justin bieber came out wearing an armadillo suit like and then there's another episode where ross has these leather pants on that he's like in love with and there's just this funny scene with him like trying to get them off of him or like trying to get them back on because they're too tight or something right and uh um i think it was sydney crawford came out wearing it 
And I was like, is that superstar, supermodel Sidney Crawford wearing his leather pants? Like, it was bizarre. And, like, no tie to the show. Lady Gaga, like, there's, like, a... Um, was this, is this all covered in the reunion, too? This is this is the reunion I'm describing. Like, yeah, yeah spoilers, I guess. I mean, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, just go watch it anyway. It's, it's I'm not ruining anything. Um, uh, what's her face? Um, Phoebe's character sings this song throughout the show called Smelly Cat. yeah. yeah. And Lady Gaga came out and sang it with her in the reunion. It was super bizarre. Yeah, all out for sure. Super bizarre. They brought all these celebrities out, but it didn't ruin it for me because you know I think they tied it back in with the messaging where Lady Gaga thanked the you know I forget her name, the lady that acts as Phoebe, thanked her for being the most real character and like being able to embrace weird. You know, especially at a time where that wasn't really as accepted as as it is now, where it's becoming more mainstream to be yourself and to be different. Um, you know, and for Phoebe to be doing that in the early, you know, not, or the late 90s and such was, you know, you know, Lady Gaga's had a kind of a cool message about that. But anyway, tons more stuff there. I, I'm just giving you the teaser, but, you know, it's just two hours of just a, a flash to the past, uh, friends and seeing these people dive in. Um, David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston admit they, they were crushing on each other really early on in the show. And he kind of has this great, you know, analogy about how they were kind of two ships passing where, you know, their lives were just going in different directions and it never got explored. And so it basically their crushes on each other kind of came out on screen where their characters had a love interest. And I just thought that was really fascinating. And, and honestly, looking back at those scenes, I was like, yeah, I kind of see it. So, um, just, you really get a peek behind the curtain at what made that show so good. And I think it's an absolute blast. If you've seen friends, uh, shoot it, even if you haven't seen all of it, but you have you know a good feel for the show. It, I, I think it's a great watch and, and a good time. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably will watch it eventually. I don't know if I'm ever going to go and rewatch all of friends. I know Tyler's a huge friends fanatic. Um, really? Yeah. He talks pretty often about a lot of their different episodes, so I'm sure he'll want to chip in about this uh, when we start up next week. Or- oh, man. I actually remember talking to him about one episode, the Brad Pitt one, where he was dating Jennifer Aniston, and they brought him on as a guest star. Do you know about this episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah where he's like super mean to her. He's like no, an he's, ex-boyfriend. Of- he hates her. No, no. He was, yeah. uh, he was overweight in high school, and she used oh, to make fun of him. And so now he's like super good looking, and he comes to hang out, and he sees her, and he's like, I hate her. I hate her. And he's just got this anger issue. Like the whole episode, he's like crushing grapes and stuff. He's like so pissed off. Yeah. Oh man. He doesn't I show think, up on the show. I was kind of hoping he'd make an appearance, but I think, I think Tyler said that the Thanksgiving episode where Joey gets his head stuck in a Turkey is like the epitome of humor for him or something like that. He's watched it a bunch. Of oh times. man. Yeah. There's a couple of those episodes are very funny, but, um, but anyway, yeah, go watch it. I highly recommend it. Yeah. yeah that sounds good. Uh, again, I probably will eventually. Um, cool. So let's talk about the forest. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Brian gave a brief description earlier, but the forest is a, uh, survival game. Essentially you're on a plane, the plane crashes, uh, in the first 30 seconds of the game, you wake up and, uh, you have a bunch of, you're, you're on half of the plane and you pick, you're just dead people all around. You pick up all the resources. There's suitcases lying around everywhere and you crack open the suitcases for resources and you have to go chop down wood using an axe that you find. Um, and that's kind of where the game starts off. And it doesn't take long, maybe a day or two, before you find out that the island that you've crash landed on is inhabited. Um, it takes like yeah, five minutes. <laughs> No, I mean, it's possible to go if your plane didn't land in this in a, in a patrol spot. It's possible to go a day or two without discovering one of their patrols. Um, 
typically you find them in the first day. Uh, and then as you journey on, uh, I mean, so Brian and I's first experience, I had played the game uh, with a friend before, just briefly. I had played for like an hour or two with a friend. So I had got the, a brief rundown. So then I introduced Brian to it. And uh, I put it on hard mode because I thought it would be funny. And I was right. It was funny. Um, we could not kill anyone. We ended up diving into a cave prematurely and, and getting killed and not being able to reflect our resources. So uh, we started over on normal mode after we'd gotten that kind of prologue uh, underway. And we tactfully went and established a base on top of a plateau. And uh, I don't know, we've had a couple of different adventures. We had uh, one moment where we were trying to build stairs from the, from the top of our plateau to the bottom. And in order to, to expedite the process, I went down to the bottom and started cutting down trees at the bottom and was working my way up as he was working his way down. Uh, and unfortunately, we ran out of daylight before the stairs Nightfall, were completed. Nightfall comes very quick in this game. Like, if you start to lose light, you better start heading back because and it is, if you're caught out at night, you can't see anything. It, yeah, is, it is pitch, pitch darkness. You can't, see, you can't see two feet in front of your face. And so Even I, with like, the lighter. Everyone's gotten, like, these, like, unlimited fuel lighters and you just you can't see anything you can see the bush right in front of your feet and other than that nothing you could be heading in the totally wrong direction and i think I, i've stayed on this podcast before but in case i haven't i uh i'm not a huge fan of horror um i don't <laughs> i don't like being scared uh and so I, i'm working my way back home i'm hugging this this cliff wall waiting for the 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 landfall to break so i can you know continue going uphill and, and back I'm, to the top I'm of the plateau up. On the plateau, hanging out in the house, waiting because you have to go to sleep at the same time in order to start the next day. So I'm up there waiting for him, maintaining a presence at the cabin, and I've got him in my headset. And suddenly this dialogue starts to unfold. <laughs> it goes from him saying, like, inconvenience by walking in the dark, trying to find his way back to just a moment of sheer panic and terror that I'll let him describe it. But I had to give you that context. I'm walking, I'm walking through the dark and I, and I cut across this, this land, this, this area I'm walking uphill and I'm like, cool. I can see the the clear path towards the the cabin that we had built. And uh, I noticed there was like a tree up ahead that had like a lighting fixture on it. And I was like, that's weird. It's almost like, there's a light source on that tree. I, I'm aware of the way the games work that have dynamic lighting and stuff. And I was like, oh, there must have just been some, like this game's kind of buggy at sometimes. I wonder if there's just some broken dynamic lighting on this specific tree that just illuminated it for a moment. And once I get farther away, you know, it'll fix itself. And then I noticed the light moved. And I was like, okay, what is going on? And I noticed there's a source for the light. It's like a flashlight. And I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? And I start running. And the guy who was holding the flashlight is screaming like guttural screams as he's chasing me. And I was extremely panicked and I, and I led him back to our base and we tried he's to screaming, sleep. screaming the whole way. It, we, <laughs> I think he forgot to mention the people, the local inhabitants are cannibals. So they're covered in human bones, like for their outfits, like they have heads on spikes all around the place. Like this is a horror game. And he sees this, this individual out in the distance with a light who starts to pursue him and his panic is just ramping up as he's running. He's like, Oh my God, I think I lost him. No, I can see the light. Oh my God. And he's like running back. And I'm just sitting there with my spear out, like in the house waiting. He ends up like thinking that he lost the guy gets back to our cabin. We're like, cool, let's just go to sleep. It'll start a new day tomorrow. We either see before, him in the light or before we could sleep, 
Uh, yeah. There's also a mechanic in this game where if your character is, is, goes a long time without warmth, that they will start to freeze. And the way that the right. game shows you this is that the corners of your screen will actually get like frosted over. It, it makes it hard to see what's going on. It makes your, your view much more narrow and focused. So that's happening to me because I'm sitting in the darkness in the cabin waiting for him. My guy is starting to freeze. And he's panicking. He gets back to the cabin. We're like, cool. We'll either have to deal with him in the daylight tomorrow or he'll be gone. So we both go down to sleep and it lets us sleep for a little bit. But then we wake up in darkness. <laughs> go ahead. Take it from there. So, so, so <laughs> we wake up and like it like wakes up. Like the way that the game works is it just fast forwards the number of hours that you would have stayed up if you were awake. And so it wakes you up if there's an enemy that that, that and is engaging I still, you. I still cannot see. Like it is still frozen on my screen. Like I very much have a very small box on my screen of like viewing. And other than that, it is it is so, not So there is a jarring transition from the sleep loading screen to the immediate pitch blackness of the cabin, which is cut instantly so, by the guttural scream. Yeah. To the guttural scream of the man who was standing outside of our window with a flashlight looking shining in. it inside. You're looking in. And Brent and I, for the first like second, we're like, whoa, the game glitched out. It's still dark. And then you hear, ah! <laughs> you look at the window and there's a fucking flashlight shining inside, like moving around. And then like walk over to the window and he's just staring back at me through the window. And Brian's over there going, I can't see anything. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't see anything? Like, there's a fucking dude out here we have to go fucking kill. I'm like, what's going on, man? I can't see what's going on. Like, all I can see is you in the darkness. And he's like, he's looking through the window. You can't see this guy. So after like... 10 seconds of pure confusion i'm like f this man this f this so i take my spear and i run right through the front door which like took me a minute to find go around the side and the cannibals literally like peering in our window with a flashlight and i run up and start jabbing him with the spear jeff and i end up killing him and making it through the night but it was just this perfect moment cap like capturing the pure confusion and, and horror sometimes that we get in this game um, you know, we won't dive into another story, but there's been other times where we've ran into these giant creatures that are mutated and, and, you know, there's like a little, what, what would I describe that baby thing that jumped out of the tree? I mean, like, I don't know if you can explain it. That's uh... there's basically, there's some kind of horror, um, mutation thing going on with the, with the local inhabitants where there's these monsters and creatures and they're slowly advancing on our plateau. We've, we've seen a couple of them getting closer, but Basically, this game, you know, I think the point is we're supposed to go find, like, our son or, or something, or my son or his son or something, and we're supposed to go get him and then try to get off the island. But all we've done so far is build up a house and defensive walls and go kill a couple of, of uh, cannibals to try to survive. But absolutely fantastic game. Even if you don't like horror, it is fun. Uh, you are going to experience moments where you're scared and, you know, stuff jumps out at you or you'll hear a scream behind you or something just randomly through the forest. But it is a blast. It is it is so much fun. We're having a great time with it. Um, resource survival game, just to be clear. Um, first person viewer, like a Skyrim, something like that. But um, even if you don't like horror, I've got someone here that doesn't like it and he's having a good time with the game. So don't be afraid to give it a shot with a friend because it's it's a lot of laughs and fun and random moments of panic. Uh, but we're we're really enjoying it. Yes, we are. Uh, sure. So on to the main topic. Uh, yeah, if you haven't played the forest, check it out. Go uh, to the forest. What we are discussing today is plot holes. Plot holes is something I wanted to cover for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun to discuss them. Uh, but 
we would need Tyler here for a, for a larger conversation. And so what we're going to focus on is a, an area of, of fiction that Brian has particular expertise uh, that also has a particularly large amount of plot holes. And so we are going to be covering plot holes in the Harry Potter universe. And uh, the reason why we chose this topic uh, is because every now and then one of us will see something or hear something or just be thinking about the Harry Potter universe. We're losing. Can you hear me? Oh, God damn it. You were saying um, something about a particularly large amount. Of yeah. So the, uh, we chose uh, a particular, we chose Harry Potter uh, that has a particularly large amount of plot holes. And uh, it's an area that Brian has a specific amount of expertise in. And uh, typically one of us, one out of the three of us will be watching movies or see something or hear something or talk with a friend and it'll spark a question about a film like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars. And we have a group chat between the three brothers that we will send it in to see if anyone has an answer that can explain why this has happened. For example, one of the ones that I had that Brian has already resolved, which was um, if uh, there's a, there's a point in the, I think it's the Half-Blood Prince that Slughorn talks about uh, Remus, how he didn't collect Remus. And, and uh, Slughorn is a professor in Harry Potter that uh, likes to collect students by, by teaching them. And uh, I was like, well, hold on. How did Remus go through, if Slughorn was the only potions professor at that time, how did Remus go through his entire Hogwarts career without taking a potions class? And Brian pointed out, yeah, he actually uses the, the um, uh, no, sorry, no, not Remus. Um, it's uh, serious. Serious. Fuck me. Uh <laughs> Sirius, uh, he, he mentions how it, uh, Slughorn mentions that he didn't collect Sirius and that uh, I was like, how did Sirius go through Hogwarts seven years without taking a potions class and, and therefore not be collected? And Brian's pointed out the Sirius Animagus uh, transformation actually comes from a potion that he created. And I was like, well, how the hell is he creating these masterclass potions if he's not taking potions? But Brian pointed out that he probably did take potions, but just wasn't invented into the Slughorn club. And so that's just an example of uh, things that we conversations that we have and uh so we're going to dive into some of the biggest harry potter plot holes and see if brian can do better than jk rowling herself and explaining uh why things are the way that they are so first things first let me just um say we're not going to dive into ones that i would consider kind of dumb or easily explained away um and then there's other ones that are very blatantly a plot hole that i'm not going to be able to discuss like for example one i came across is how uh, wizarding children don't learn any basic math, writing, reading, or any skill. I guess it's just assume that they have that stuff or that it's not needed in their world because they go to Hogwarts at 11 years old. They spend their entire education from 11 to 18 at Hogwarts where they learn a bunch of magic, but they don't learn math or science or writing. And then they go off into the world and join jobs. So... Where are the core classes that seem like they would still be relevant? I think we're just going to have to explain that one away by magic makes math not really one that of, important. <laughs> one of the plot holes that I saw that I, I wasn't planning on discussing, but it fits this concept, is that uh, Ollivander is most likely selling all of his wands at a loss. So that was the other one I was going to say. I think and we, I was going to say, well, maybe it's because he didn't take core math classes and he has no yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he didn't take a business 101. So, no. So that was one I was going to say. It was kind of obvious that 
he's getting his own resources and he's not paying for them. Sure. Uh, the, the he's also plot, selling the, to a bunch of children that don't have... The uh, plot hole here, um, for those who haven't heard it, is that um, a unicorn hair as an ingredient when you're buying it for like your potions class or whatever is 10 galleons and yet Ollivander is selling wands that have unicorn hair in them for 7 galleons. So the logic there is all the other materials aside, just to have a unicorn hair and a wand and sell it at that price, Ollivander's losing 3 galleons per wand. That's dumb. The obvious answer is Ollivander's going off and clipping his own unicorn hairs and not spending any money on the resource. Um... You know, ones like that, just it's not worth spending a ton of time on. So we'll keep going. But uh, um, some of these, you know, like I said, uh, are going to be a little tough. Um, Jeff, do you want to hit me with one? Uh, sure. Uh, so in the, the seventh book, they introduced the Elder Wand. And they talk about how the Elder Wand makes a wizard all powerful. And we know, we learned that the person who's currently holding the Elder Wand is Alvis Dumbledore. And the way that he got it was that he defeated his childhood friend, who was kind of like a, a wizard Hitler, who had been possessing <laughs> the wand before him. And Albus, in that moment, talks about, or you learn that Albus just barely considered himself better than Grindelwald on a normal footing without the Elder Wand. And I think... So the question here is, how did Dumbledore beat Grindelwald? Right. So... Uh, were you going to give a thought there? I don't want to cut you off. Sorry. No, no. I want to hear it. Let's go. So first things first, the Elder Wand itself is more powerful than any other wand. So, for example, when Harry's Wand and Voldemort's Wand's spells hit each other and they kind of link up into the priori incantatum uh, kind of combo, you know, pushing back and forth moment, the Elder Wand would just overpower whatever wand it clashed with. Okay, if there's any kind of spell rebounding, the Elder One wins. From what I understand, they don't dive into it too much in the books, but from what I understand, there's a lot of that kind of, with your normal witches and wizards, a lot of spells hitting each other as you are both throwing spells in opposite directions, and therefore the, the Elder One gives you more power. Now also, the user of the Elder One plays a lot of the role here, because for example, uh, you know, Jeff could have a, a handgun that shoots one bullet at a time and I could have a machine gun. But if I'm not very good with the machine gun and he's good with the handgun, I, I'm probably still going to lose because, you know, while my gun's more powerful, I, I'm not as a user as capable. Same thing with wands, right? It's not like you can just hand a, a Elder Wand to Neville Longbottom and he becomes the most powerful wizard in the world. So to some extent... The Elder One does not guarantee you victory, even if in a head-to-head confrontation. Now we look at who's in that fight, right? We have Grindelwald, who's an ultra-powerful wizard. It needs to be recognized. And we have Dumbledore, who I think, and this is the answer here, has been established as the greatest wizard of all time. He is. He does magic that no one else does. He, you know, very clearly strikes fear even into the, the worst of enemies. Grindelwald very clearly wants nothing to do with him. And we see that even in the movie version, like where they're playing stuff out that's beyond the books, where they have continued to embrace that Grindelwald is like trying to keep himself protected from Dumbledore through the use of that like like secret promise thing that they made when they were kids. Um, Grindelwald very clearly does not want a head-to-head confrontation. Dumbledore is just that bad of a dude. He's a bad dude. Okay. 
Now, I'm going to point to something from the books, and this is how enthusiastic I am about this topic. I'm a big Harry Potter guy. Dumbledore and Voldemort give us a one-on-one in the department, or like in the uh, Ministry of Magic. We get to see a one-on-one. Their magic does not, they don't have spells just rebounding off each other. You know, they're not throwing stupefies at each other and just having it ping all over the room, right? They're using the kind of advanced magic that most people are not even close. We see Aurors and Death Eaters down in the Department of Mysteries just before this one-on-one. And they're just flinging spells at each other like crazy. But then we see Voldemort and Dumbledore fight up in the lobby shortly after. And they're using magic that is like subverting magic and like producing stuff out of thin air that just like envelops you instead of coming at you like a bullet. You know, like the fountain, the water from the fountain rises up and wraps around Voldemort like a cocoon and starts to suffocate him. Like stuff like that, where they're using the environment and that kind of stuff, where the Elder One would be helpful, but not quite as much of an advantage um, as I think that we're picturing it being. Right. It's supposed to beat all other ones. But in this case, in the way Dumbledore fight, I think it kind of negates the Elder One's ability to, to be the difference. I like that answer. So let's talk about the slaves. Let's talk about the elves. Uh, <laughs> slaves. Okay. So, so uh, are there hundreds of thousands? Is it like a traditional slave economy where there are like millions of elves and, and fewer sl- slave owners? Uh, do they outnumber their masters or does each household only own like one slave? Um, so some, well, they don't give too much information on this. They don't dive into the topic because I think it's kind of sensitive to be honest with you. But from what I understand, in most households – that have them, which there's not that many, they have one, right? The black family has Creature. These, the Malfoy family has Dobby, the, you know, and so on and so forth. It's just one elf to do all the, the house duties. Hogwarts obviously caters to hundreds of students a year, and therefore they have a whole kitchen full of them. But for the most part, um, we only really see a couple dozen. At any, you know, throughout the the, the story, so right. question, I, there's no telling how many there are. My next question was: uh, are, are the elves is the elf magic more powerful, or are the humans more powerful? Is that just why they they've enslaved the elf people? Are like because it feels like you see the elves do some shit that uh, just because they're magically imbued that humans aren't capable of doing. Like you think that they'd just be able to walk around and just snap their hands out of snap the yeah. wands out of people's why hands twenty four seven. I so, kind of get the, I kind of get the impression that they're like. They're kind of like, um, this isn't me trying to be offensive anyway, if I am. Sorry for any elves listening. Um, I kind of get the impression they're like dogs. Like a dog could bite you and harm you and oftentimes could probably kill their owners. But all they want to do is please, right? It's just in their nature. And therefore, elf magic is described as extremely powerful. I mean, you see Dobby at times, like he punks um, Lucius Malfoy, punks him. You know, like he's a super powerful dude. But they, that's just not in their nature. And I think that's what their big weakness is and what causes them to be in their situation is they're just there to please. Hmm. Yeah, I just always kind of thought me strange whenever you see this elves do magic. I'm like, why are these guys enslaved? What is that? What kind is of, the Kind of an, a narrative that I'm, I'm starting to look at J.K. Rowling now with all the stuff she's come out about. Her. Like her tradition, views are very traditional and we're not going to get into this too much. But J.K. Rowling has not been afraid to express some disdain about modern times and the way things are changing with, you know, a more aware culture and things like that. And it's kind of interesting now that we're talking about house elves being written by her because uh, Hermione, part of her character, she starts like a house elf liberation 
movement. And she's like upset about the treatment of elves and, and she wants to free them, but it's explained away and kind of stifled by the explanation that the elves don't want to be free. Literally in the book, the narrative is Hermione. They don't want to be free. They like being in the kitchens at Hogwarts. They like being servants. And I just, now I'm starting to question that. <laughs> I never really gave it much thought back when I was reading the books in the early 2000s. But now I'm kind of like, hmm, JK, like, is there a broader world narrative that I need to be reading into here? Because um, that seems controversial. But, you know, I guess we'll leave it there. Sure. Um, allegiances. They bring up the concept of wand allegiances in the last book. And I feel like it totally flies. There's a couple different concepts or, or mechanics that jk rowling introduces with each entry of the franchise that starts to fly in the face of of established content totally. um and and one of the ones that kind of disturbed me the most is this concept that wands suddenly have allegiances it's something that wasn't brought up before i think the sixth book mm, i don't know i seem to remember book number one the one chooses the wizard sure but they don't talk about people getting disarmed in the first book and then the wand suddenly belonging to that second person. That's true. Yeah, I mean, that's something that does come up later. I think you're going to see that in most storylines where they kind of add these little details in to make it work. But at the same it, time... It has drastic consequences on the rest of the franchise. Totally, right? totally does. And there's a moment that I was going to bring up as a plot hole, which is at one point Harry's carrying a couple of different wands, like basically in the middle of a fight, people are losing their wands as they're getting cursed and stuff. He picks up a couple of them and then he turns around and blasts someone with like a triple spell. And it's like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Cause it implies that he just absolutely lights somebody up with that move. And I'm like, so why isn't that more common? Right. Why wouldn't why someone be like, cool, I'm going to go after a couple of wands, tape them all right. together. And I'm going to be freaking bad. Dumbledore, Dumbledore kills Grindelwald. Now he's got three wands. He's got his old wand. He's got the, the, the elder yeah. wand and he's got Grindelwand's old wand. Why not double wand it, dude? Why not go just... double sword? That'd be crazy. Like, and why is that not a thing? Why is he, is he just cast, the right to one? Is he casting two spells at once at that point? Like, that would be, he's supposed to block. Can you imagine him like coming with two <laughs> different things? Like, that would be insane. Actually, at his level, I don't know how much you would actually even benefit him. But at the same time, like, the concept of that, I think you can totally open that up. And they show that it is a thing. However, um, the allegiance thing is kind of interesting. I, it's... They kind of hint at it. I feel like it's not the kind of thing that really kind of took me by surprise on my first read through or like that kind of threw me at all because I was like, you know, the wand chooses the wizard was a really early concept. And then Harry and, and Voldemort, their wands personalities in number four, you know, the Goblet of Fire where they're brother wands and they recognize each other. They're, they're almost sentient in a way. The wands are definitely interesting. Um but the allegiance thing, I, I, I just don't see it as that big of a plot hole, more as like a device that kind of helped the story wrap up. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, it became more of a theme later, but I think that's pretty common in literature where themes need to be introduced to bring your conclusion. You know what I'm saying? And like that was just one that I think it, it opens up questions, definitely, but I don't see it as something that flew in the face of like the canon in any way. Um, Although I would like to see Dumbledore rocking two wands, that'd be freaking legendary. Uh, what other ones have you come across with with your preparation? Yeah, so a couple of ones that I've got. The, the first one, and I think this is the absolute biggest plot hole. We probably should have started here, but uh, the Marauders map. Um, obviously, a refresher for anyone who's been out of the Harry Potter game for a long time. But the Marauders map is a 
a map originally created by Harry's dad and, and his friends back when they were kind of miscreant students at Hogwarts. They made a magical map that shows the grounds of the castle and also shows you where everyone is at on the grounds. So you can see where all the rooms are and you can also see where everyone is inside of castle grounds. Uh, Ron's older brothers, Fred and George, have this map in Harry's early years at Hogwarts, ended up giving it to him in, uh, gosh, is it number three? Yeah, they must be number three, because that's when they would kind of get introduced to Harry's parent, uh, dad and, and brother's storyline, or uh, friend's storyline. But Fred and George have been carrying this map around that show them where everyone's at. And we find out in number three as well that Peter Pettigrew has been living as a rat in Ron's dormitory for all the years they've been in Hogwarts. So Fred and George have been running around with this map that shows them where everyone is, even when they're sleeping. And yet they never stop to question why there's a man named Peter Pettigrew sleeping in Ron's bed in full view on the map. And and we know that he's visible because we see Peter Pettigrew scurrying around in that book on the map. Harry sees it and goes, why would it say Peter Pettigrew? This thing must be glitching out. So how did... So, so I mean, what I see as an explanation for this is I don't see Fred and George using the Marauders map to look at their brother sleeping, right? Well, like, well that, you're looking at the map as a whole, though. You have the right. whole map laid out in front of you. Right. So you're looking for specific things. Like, I'm going to walk down this corridor and take a left to get to this area to steal whatever. I'm not checking out of my brother's dormitory to see if he's asleep, right? Yeah, like, but that's not 50 pages in. It's on the same page. So you're telling me that in all the years they had it, they never once noticed that there was a strange name sitting in their brother's bed? They don't, but they also don't know who Peter Pettigrew is. So even if they did see Peter Why Pettigrew... Why does it matter walking, who he is? He's sleeping in their brother's bed. That you're, you're assuming that they're looking at the same time frame that he is in bed. Like, Rod's only in bed for a couple hours of the night. So you're telling me that in years of them owning that map, like it's literally their third year at the school and he's had the rat since year one. You're telling me they've never looked at that, seen a strange name named Peter in their brother's bed and gone, that's weird. I'm telling you that they had no reason. Peter Pettigrew is. It doesn't matter that he's a bad guy. It's just why is there getting Peter in Ron's bed? <laughs> they had no reason <laughs> to look at their brother sleeping is my point. My question is, um, how did Percy even get Scabbers in the first place? Um, uh, that one's going to escape me. It's been a while. Uh, I think that they... Oh, I think that he um, kind of like charmed him, not charmed like in a actually used magic on him, but like impressed him or whatever on a trip. Like he brought him home from somewhere and gave him to Ron as a gift. And I think it was like implied that Peter Pettigrew kind of like slid up to him and was, you know, was like, take me home kind of rat behavior. (laughs) I don't know. But I think the answer, I was kind of waiting to see if you'd say it. When we see the map in the, in the movies, we don't really see a thousand names in all the different dorms. I think once they get into the dorms, it's kind of like, like they didn't have, like they omit it from the map. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's really rare that Ron takes the rat outside of the dorm. Right. Yeah. And we know that Peter is aware of the map. He was part of the, he was one of the creators of that map. So I'm assuming Peter was just living in the dorm the whole time. Yeah, and that and that they can't see into the dorms. I don't know if they ever show them in their dorms, like if there's ever a shot of the map where we can see them in bed right. or something. Right. And so I'm assuming that that part is like not on. The, we can just assume that it's not on the map, 
However, this does elicit kind of the creepy thoughts of Peter transforming into a man and being in the little boy's dormitory at all times, 24-7, knowing that he can't go out because of the map. Although he had no reason to think that Fred and George had it because it was confiscated. But he also could have been suspected that Dumbledore had it or something, right? Like, he doesn't know who has the map. Well, Phil took it while they were students, I think. And that's how Fred and George got it is they got detention and then went through his drawers while they were in his office and they found the map. That's how they get it. And I, I think it's led, to, we're led to, to understand that it must have been confiscated from the original creators back when Harry's dad was a student. And therefore, Peter might have just assumed that he was destroyed or sitting in a, in a confiscated well, cabinet. Totally. Somewhere. The fact that Fred and George know the password to Marta's map seems to imply that it was like handed down to them. They figured it out. I think it's, it implies that they messed with it. And figured, well, how would you know how to say that specific line? Right. It was not handed down to him. They stole it out of a like a filing cabinet or something. I with remember a, with that a sticky note on top of it. That says, but then, if Peter knew that it was confiscated or assumed that no one had it, why would he, would he have, right. stay in the dorm? Why wouldn't he go wandering around and causing trouble? I don't know. It's that that's a big plot hole for me. That, that one's kind of the two, cre- creepiest of them all. I think two two of the biggest plot holes that I saw were. Um, why would James Potter entrust Peter Pettigrew with being a secret keeper, which is a concept from the books, uh, if he could simply make himself, he could bond the, the secret keeper with his own soul? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I think she messed that up, to be completely honest with you. That's not one that I'm going to be able to explain away. Right. I, I, um, I don't know why you would use the secret keeper on anyone but yourself if you're trying to keep yourself safe. It doesn't make any sense to the concept pass of the that off keepers, to a friend. Like when they bring up the concept of the secret keeper too. Um, I mean, I guess you could just say that James trusted his friends, right? I mean, he was he was fiercely well, loyal. Why? But you don't trust yourself. Sure. What What is the What is the added value of going with a friend over yourself? I don't know. Um, so, so the reason why I'm asking that is because they do establish later that you can do it to yourself. And right. so it just like, it doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't trust your, or at least your wife, you know, she's in there with you. Like, and you guys have a common interest in protecting your child. So why, why go to a random third party, regardless of how much you trust them? I don't think they should have done it with serious. You know what I'm saying? And I think that it's established that at that time when they were making that decision, they knew that there was a spy passing along information. I think they all knew it and that's why they were like trying to be all secret about it and like how do we cleverly do this and then they gave it to the wrong guy essentially and interesting and so it was like it just doesn't make any sense and she should have caught that one to be honest with you that's just a writing plot hole that I'm not going to be able to justify right I mean the whole concept of the secret keepers didn't really uh, do much for the franchise overall so it feels strange for them to have included but um, definitely could have been omitted I think there could have been other ways to I think I think the one on here that you'll have no answer for is is why did Voldemort not make the other Deathly Hollows or the other Deathly ah the the other Death Eaters take the Unbreakable Vow? Hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, I, I don't know. It seems like a pretty locked locked in way to make sure people stay stay loyal because Snape totally backstabs him. Right. And, and like the shows constantly that it's not like Voldemort likes the people that he's with. He's, he's super. He's willing hateful. to kill them. Yeah. yeah he, like yeah. he emasculates them and tortures them and does all this horrible shit to the people that follow him to keep them in line. So it's, it's not like he's like, oh, you love me. He's like, nah, you fucking fear me. And you, you fear think me. 
and you think that the uh, unbreakable vow would be a pretty fucking good way to, to force that in. Yeah, it's 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 funny because you could just hit him with like, like I'm I'm gonna kill you if you don't do it. So you might want to just make a promise yeah. to me, and then basically he doesn't have to worry about him because the moment they betray him, they drop dead. Right. I mean, it's like, hey, you could either follow me willingly with the unbreakable vow, or I'm just gonna imperio you into uh, servitude anyway. Or I'm just gonna kill you. Or I'm right. just gonna kill you. Right. And, and I just love. <laughs> and the whole country. <laughs> Although I failed to take over a school. <laughs> the greatest thing of all time is that meme with the different bad guys from the different universes. And they're like, what is it? Uh, who are the bad guys? It's Sidious from Star yeah, Wars. Darth Sidious. Um, uh, Voldemort Sauron, from Harry Potter. Sauron, Sauron, Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, they're like, Sauron took over an entire planet for... You know, hundreds of years. of years. Yeah, yeah. Sidious takes over a galaxy for thirty years. Voldemort failed to take over a high school. <laughs> it's just couldn't I mean, kill a baby and then failed to take a high school. Yeah, <laughs> it's obviously that totally downplays Voldemort, but at the same time, like that is the greatest thing of all time. So look up that meme, get a good laugh. Um, uh, the port ahead. key, the port key at the Triwizard Tournament. The way that they establish port keys work is that you go to a port key at a specific time and you hold on to it. It takes you to a desired place. And then when you grab the port key, it takes you back to that same desired place. But the way that the port key works in the Goblet of Fire is they grab onto it. It teleports them to a graveyard. They get into a whole altercation. When they grab on the same port key, it takes them to a different location than where the port key originally was. Oh, I see what you're saying. So they grab the port key in the middle of the maze. They go to the graveyard. But when then it comes back, he lands outside of the maze right in front of the Exactly. Door. Like, was Voldemort... Like, I don't know if that's if that's something that Voldemort is just clever about, that it was his plan to teleport in the middle and start just fucking wrecking people. Does that happen in the book, though? I don't know. I, I can't remember if the book does it the same way. I feel like Harry just comes back and they transport him out of the maze, maybe? Or maybe he does land at Dumbledore's feet like that. Well, let's just put it this way, because I don't remember that part of the book. So um, if the port key does bring him back and drop him outside the maze, that's just bad writing, because it doesn't make any sense you know, to put him conveniently right where he's trying to go. Um, but um, I want to—I I could be totally wrong, but I want to say it takes him back into the maze and then he gets transported out. But... I don't remember, to be completely honest with you. Was there another question about the Porky, or is that the only issue there? Well, I mean, it's just like, I, from my understanding, like if you were to grab the Goblet of, of Fire, it probably would have been a Porky to teleport you to the beginning of the maze. So I was wondering if they just like were able to subjugate it and add an extra stop. No, so, so that it, port, would... it wasn't supposed to be a Porky at all. It was supposed to just be a trophy that you take. Like a beacon. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe they had it written where you grab the port key and it pushes you back at the beginning, but I don't think it was ever described that way. I think they literally say that Barty Crouch Jr., the bad guy, turned it into a port key in order to get him out of there. I don't think they describe it as he altered an existing port key. So it says here that when he arrives back at school, many of the students began to scream when they see Cedric's body. So it doesn't specifically state so he that he lands land back up. in front of the people, but, but does it does state that he's carrying the body. So either he walks back through the maze and it's like a time-lapse period of him walking around and people freaking out, or he does teleport back. It doesn't specifically yeah. state. And I guess we have to stick with the movie then because the movie shows him land straight up outside the maze in a convenient spot for him. 
Yeah, that's interesting oversight because that's it doesn't make any sense unless we write in or like you know include which we can't that the the um, the cup was supposed to be a port key that dropped you back off at the beginning because then basically they just had an extra stop on the way and who knows where stop number three is supposed to go. But uh, yeah, that's that's interesting that the. I mean, the, the Triwizard Tournament itself has got a bunch of plot holes, but the, like, like the Port Key is a small one. Well, like what we were talking about with the Goblet itself, I think I was justifying one the other day via text that, do you have that one still? Uh, I mean, I'm, sure, I'm sure we have it in our concept, but I was asking why uh, wouldn't uh, Mad-Eye Moody or, or Party, Party Man's Crouch not just put in Harry's name as the, the Gryffindor champion and therefore not make it weird that there was four contestants. Like why would Cedric Diggory or have to be named? And, and your solution was, if you want well, to Well, it was because it. it was, yeah. So the, the book explains that Barty Crouch Jr. puts him in under a different school so that he's the only contestant and therefore is guaranteed to get chosen. I think Barty Crouch would like, what it's implied there is that he wasn't able to pick the champion from each school. It was more like he, he, uh, could only like confuse the cup into accepting a fourth school, you know, a contestant from a fourth school. And therefore Harry became the only submission from that school. And then was guaranteed entry versus if he had put him in under Hogwarts, he wouldn't have been able to, I don't know why, but he wouldn't have been able to guarantee that it was Harry getting picked. Why did Sirius wait for 13 years before turning into a dog and just leaving Azkaban? Well, first off, I, I can get to that one, but first off, before we leave the, the Triwizard Cup thing with Barty, I, I think my counter plot hole to you was Barty Crouch Jr. was uh, at that school all year long without any suspicion. Right. At one point, he literally takes his father, who's the like the director of the tournament, walks with him out beyond the sightline of everyone on campus out into the forest kills him transfigures him into a bone and then buries him and then goes back into school like nothing happened okay i'm setting the context for that because my question is why go through the most elaborate plot ever which is being there all year long as a, as a uh, professor having to deal with the whole uh, polyjuice potion thing over and over again all year long not scaring it, you know, like revealing yourself to anyone, like dealing with the Triwizard Cup, getting Harry through each round of the tournament, just to turn the cup into a port key that you then have to get him to win the race to just to get him to the graveyard when you literally could just say, hey, I'm going to take you out on a little excursion in the forest for, as part of our studying. Take him out he, there and fucked up teleport if... him to the graveyard. Why did he go through the entire year when he could have just taking Harry at any time he wanted. He was a trusted follow, teacher. Follow me on this. Wouldn't it be fucked up if part of his defense against the dark arts like methodology was him bringing Voldemort back? Where he's just like, I'm going to teach you a fun little potion here. And like he could sacrifice his own hand as as the, the flesh willingly given. He could have already dug up the father's bone. He could have totally. Voldemort in the pot. That would have been awesome, actually. It would have made sense because he needed to like get Harry's willing contribution. And therefore that willing part really makes it the answer if he'd gone that route that would be very very good writing in my opinion better writing than what we got because it's kind of confusing to me why he went through the whole elaborate ruse when he could literally just be like hey harry we're gonna go for a walk i'm yeah. gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you some stuff 
Like, dude, Harry is literally going to his office after hours and letting him perform unforgivable curses on him in order to get better at them all year long throughout the well, book. There's, well, there's your answer then. The guy's got his, his reason to stay for as long as he can. He just gets to torture people for a living. He's like, but, this is... <laughs> what? Like, that, that's... It's... I love the book. I'm not trying to say the books are bad. I'm just saying yeah, no that's, a, that's a weird one I've never heard the explanation for. What was your uh, one about Sirius again? So Sirius uh, escapes Azkaban by transforming into a dog after right. being there for 13 years. Right. Why not after a day? <laughs> Why not day Why two? What are you waiting for? <laughs> I'm fucking out of here. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't remember why they exp- what, how they explained that one. I think there was an answer. For that one. I Just, don't know. I don't know I, that one. I, 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 I'd, have I'd have to refresh. <laughs> do, do, you, do you have that one? Do you have the answer? No, I don't have an answer. I have no idea why this guy would torture himself for 13 fucking years. Why did Sirius wait to escape Azkaban? He didn't really have a reason to escape. That's pretty weak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he sure as fuck didn't have a reason to stay. All his friends were either dead or they believed him to be a killer and a traitor. What motivated him to motivated him to escape was the sudden realization that Harry was in dangerously close contact with someone serious and knew to be a murderer. Yeah, but if your life is ruined, I guess escaping is almost an admission of guilt in a way. Con- like you know in your psychology <laughs> but he's uh, convicted and they throw okay. away the key so at that point he okay, go bail and live in yeah go bail and <laughs> go bail and live in some other country under some alias but like i don't know that's that is kind of a weird one like he didn't have a reason to escape so he just sat there in misery even though he knew he was innocent like why why wouldn't he just bail and get away out yeah it's a, a good question it's not like he was getting any kind of uh appeal process it's not like he was having it's not like he was enjoying the life that he was having right every day they're just sucking his happiness out of him yeah you think i would just be like yeah i you know i (laughs) don't have any friends back in my life i might as well sit here and be tortured like now i'm gonna go to maui and (laughs) sip on some mai tais like fuck this yeah steal a wand real quick and just go live a, a nice peaceful existence so does sirius and bellatrix do they get their original wands back and how do they yeah, good question. I think Sirius. I can't remember how he gets his wand, but I'm pretty sure is he that, gets his back. Is that is that how he escaped? The Dementor was like, "Here, boy." It's given to him. I think he get he makes it all the way to where Harry's at, meets Harry, and then I think somebody gives him his wand. Hmm. Like, uh, I, I mean, I can't, he, I can't remember on that one. Yeah, but he he seemed to know that he was going away, right? Like that's when he turned decided to uh, do the potion or whatever. So like he could have done preparations to be arrested without a swan uh yeah i don't know i don't know the answer to that one i, I think he gets his wand back at some point but that's a pretty <clears throat> small detail i'm not going to remember if i don't read the back through but um yeah was there another part to that uh no i think that was actually the last uh plot hole that i had cool um, let me see let me see what other ones i got here um i had another tab pulled up with a couple of good ones let's see okay so, um, Veritaserum. Yeah. Veritaserum is a potion that makes you tell the truth. Right. Why isn't that used in their government? Why wouldn't they apply people with that shit? Like, it's a protected, like, restricted potion that they don't allow you the use of, I think, is how they explain it. 
Why isn't that something that they use more frequently? Uh, well, so I was, I was reading about that, right? People were like, why wouldn't they just test every single Death Eater? Or why wouldn't someone who's going to ask and like Sirius Black be able to, to clear their names by asking to take it? And from what I understand, there's a form of magic called occlumency that can actually be used to defeat or, or avoid the effects of uh, Veritaserum. And so they can't actually guarantee in these wizards that have been uh, trained in the dark arts by Voldemort himself, whether or not they have, uh, whether or not they, they're actually telling the truth under Veritaserum. But the same person that I was reading was saying, but Slughorn, who is like one of the best occlumencers in the Harry Potter universe, carries a antidote to Veritaserum on him at all times. And they're like, well, how good is occlumency at avoiding it if this dude's still fucking scared? Uh, but still, it's it's enough to make the wizarding world doubt how powerful or how accurate Veritaserum can actually be. It's like a lie detector test, right? Yeah. Lie detector tests have been held as the gold standard, but we've known for over 80 years that they're actually easy to fool. It's, it's, uh, it's on the same level with me. It's the reason why I brought it up is because it, it really lends to the larger conversation about the, uh, the time turners. Yep. I think that's a plot hole that we've been kind of dancing around because it's it's the big one whenever we talk Harry Potter plot holes. It's like they have the ability to, to manipulate time and they can go back and change things. And yet they don't allow it at all, which is fine. Then, then why keep the time turners? Why not destroy them? Right. Or they keep, oh, now hold on a second. And even worse, they allow Hermione to have one so that she can just go back and take more classes. <laughs> That seems like a perverted abuse of well, the that, ability to go back in time. Isn't there this whole theory about uh, Dumbledore being uh, Ron Weasley? Didn't you? Haven't you heard that? <laughs> fact I, 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 that sounds familiar. Can you touch on that? It's, I mean, it's just a concept that that Dumbledore, that Ron Weasley, after living his life with Hermione dying, he you know uses the Time Turner to go all the way back to the very beginning, so that he can guide his friends uh, from from the very beginning. <laughs> But then so they have he the takes double Dumbledore backstory. It doesn't make any sense. He just he just creates it. I don't know. Uh, so There's he just goes back to in time. his childhood. Well, then and maybe Dumbledore's he goes back and maybe he goes back and kills the original Dumbledore and Ron's, takes their place. Ron's not that good of a wizard. <laughs> maybe he's better when he's in his old age. I don't know. But my point is that <laughs> my point is that Dumbledore throughout the book seems to know things that are going to happen or seems to to have. Yeah, he's totally aware of stuff. Totally. It's, so the concept of him being a time especially turner, with like, the time turner thing, it doesn't make any sense. Like he knows Harry's going to be there. Like he totally understands the time stuff. I need to know why. Why does Dumbledore know know that the, another Harry's about to come through a door? I guess yeah. it's because he's sending the other one back, so he's kind of figured it out. Whatever, man. But like that's ridiculous. Okay, and I don't have an explanation as a Harry Potter enthusiast. I do not have an explanation for why it's okay for them to hand a time manipulation device to a girl so that she can take more studies, like. How do they not see that snowballing into some horrible reality right. with her going back and messing with stuff? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. But the Veritaserum is like a small scale example of that, where it's like extremely regulated and restricted, and yet it has applicable uses. So I just yeah. don't understand. What if, like, what if why? Fred and George is actually just one guy with a with a time turner? You just keep well, they're in the room at the same time. That's I don't know. I'm just talking with you. But but hold on a second. When Voldemort kills somebody and some tragedy occurs, right? Let's take the Longbottom parents getting tortured. Why wouldn't the government? Those are government agents. 
that got tortured? Why wouldn't the government just rewind time a little bit and get them out of there? Well, you know where Dumbledore is going or where Voldemort's going to be. Yeah, and we're all just sitting here going, oh, I don't know how we're going to fight Dumbledore. And yet you have a device that can like totally like stop him. He can't do anything up against that because you can just go back to before he does it and stop him. Right. Like, why wouldn't you just plant Dumbledore wherever Voldemort's about to show up? And then Dumbledore's just like, hey, it's me again. Blast. You're like, yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, Dumbledore's got a time turner and he's not saving the Potter family. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> don't, like, it doesn't make sense that you're not willing to try something like that. And you're telling you're me willing that to Snape, give this thing to a girl to take more classes. You're telling me that Snape is not hunting for a time turner 24 fucking seven. To try to save Lily. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? They're just totally going to act like that's not the device to save everybody. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, oh, that's a such a tragedy hole. about the Potter family. You're going to go back in time and save them? No, no, no. Now I'm just going to spend the rest of my life just regretting not being able to save her at all. Such a tragedy. No opportunity to <laughs> save her. Like, I loved her so much. I'd do anything to save her if I could. Oh, well, what about the time turners? Nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> if there was any other way. <laughs> it's against the sense. rules. It's against the rules. We can't. It's against the rules. <laughs> I just... I wouldn't want to mess with time. Just anything else, though. I would do it. <laughs> anything else. Like, nothing's off limits. Except for the time turn. I'm not doing it. The time turn. Not doing it. <laughs> just, it. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, dude, there's so much stuff that, like, like, why wouldn't the school, like, put this, put it this way. They're willing to approve it for school use for Hermione to take more classes. Cool. Nice, simple thing that's not going to cause any problems. She's just trying to get smarter. Cool. Whatever. Go back to book two. You have a basilisk roaming through the halls, turning students to stone. But they're not willing to, to get time turner approval to back that up and get those students out of harm's way when you have a giant mythical creature harming your student population. But you're willing to give a time turner to a student in the population to study more. I'm going to let the silence sit on that one for a second. <laughs> We got to get the time turners. Yeah. There's no right answer. She should not have done time. I think it, it was fun. I think it was fun for the reading, but when you really look back at it, you're like, "What the hell is going on there?" Yeah, it's super. I mean, it's 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 an awesome concept. I, like, it's one of my favorite moments in the book is the the climax of that film. Yeah, where he figures out it's him jumping out of the bush. Like he's like, "Oh crap!" and he jumps out, and bam! And he's I mean, just that awesome. It like like the second half of that film just turns into like a heist film where they're like have to have this tact is how they approach things and the like timing. everything comes together. They yeah. do it really well, but it only works in the context of that one film. And they then had they, it, yeah. They they should have explained it some other way, like not that it was a government regulated item, but that it, like like I don't know. Dumbledore had one, and he had his own right. reasons for like if he stuff. was the inventor of it, and it could only go back so far. Right, he has this quite because I could see him justifying that by being like, "Dude, if I allow you guys to use this too much, why wouldn't I go back to save my sister and right. stop my dad from going to prison?" And the answer would be, "I don't want to mess with the flow of time too much." Right, right, like have him after the Potter family dies, have him invent the time turner and just build on the lore of Dumbledore even but, more. Yeah, but decide not to use it for that purpose. Right. But you and, wouldn't allow Hermione to study more with it. Like, he, he literally pops it right. out to say, hey, Harry, here's how we're going to save Buckbeak and Sirius. I've broken right. down because of my soft spot for Harry. Here's the time turner. 
but the fact that they she was just transported back in time to take more studies is so dumb. Like yeah. it gets approved for that? Are you kidding me? Like why wouldn't you go back in time and see whether Sirius is actually the bad guy? Like in his in that same book, because he gets pinned for the murder, and all he had to do was go back in time and be an innocent bystander in the crowd, not messing with time at all. Just send an investigator back to go see whether he did it or not. Right. <laughs> like, how hard is that? Like, it's, it just seems like trials are such a farce if you don't use time to go back and witness it again. I don't, that would actually be kind of a fun, like, time cop, you know, like Harry Potter universe time cop thing. Like, like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get into time travel in the, in the, the new Harry Potter films coming out, the new Mystic Beasts. Um, all right, last plot hole. Uh, the Trace is the last one that I had. Do you have any more? Uh, no, no. The trace. What do you mean the trace? The trace. There's a concept of magic where uh, the, the ministry has figured out how to determine whether or not underage wizards are using magic. And mm. uh, I don't know exactly how it works, but I do know that uh, Voldemort murdered his father when he was an underage wizard and didn't get in trouble for it. Yeah, so that trace, I forgot the name of it, but um, that trace basically, I think it's explained that um, they can detect when magic happens somewhere, and yet they can't tell who cast the magic. I think that's the limitation of the trace. And so when Harry is living in an all-muggle household, and they know that he's the only wizard for you know, a couple of houses, I think uh, his, his neighbor a few uh, houses down is a, a witch, uh, or a squib, maybe. Oh, so she wouldn't be a wizard either. But uh, they can pretty much tell that it's Harry that did it. Right. But it, I think they had to make it limited in that they couldn't tell who cast it because uh, in number two, they get Harry in trouble for Dobby casting magic in his house. Right. So they pin it on Harry and they had to explain a way of why the government couldn't tell that it wasn't Harry. Essentially. Now, with that, they then explain a way that in magical households, whenever a kid does it, it's up to their parents to kind of enforce the law. Right. Kind of like with drinking right in the real world like mm -hmm. it's illegal for kids to drink but if you have a kid and you hand him a beer in your house how the how's the police going to know that you're handing the kid alcohol in your own right. home it's kind of up to you to make that decision as a parent um interesting but at the same time i, I don't know what's the plot hole with that one what are you struggling with i just well if, if the trace works the way that i thought it was which is that they'd be able to determine that an underage person had cast the spell which is what i thought the trace was uh, that they would easily be able to determine whether or not it was Voldemort that killed his father versus his uncle who took the blame. Uh, oh, when Voldemort kills that guy. Um, so no, Voldemort, Voldemort kills his dad separately. His uncle doesn't take the blame for that murder. No, his uncle... Oh, no, 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 no. I think you're mixing up storylines. You're getting me confused. So basically... The um, Dumbledore's, uh, not Dumbledore's, Voldemort's mom. I don't know if you know much about this backstory because they don't dive into it in the movies very much. Voldemort's mom is a woman who lives in a household. So basically it's his grandfather and his mom and his uncle, Voldemort's family, right? And they're okay. from the ancient Slytherin lineage, but they've been inbreeding for generations because they think they're better than everybody else. And it's like made them all go crazy except for his mom. Who's just like, she's almost like a house elf. Like she's just like totally subservient and treated like Cinderella and her brother is this horrible psycho and her dad's this horrible, like proud psycho. Right. 
basically the there's like this handsome muggle in the village, Tom Riddle, and her the, his mom falls in love with him, ends up hitting him with a love potion and like having a baby with him. Then the dude breaks out of the the love potion spell for a while. I think she thinks that he's just going to love her naturally, and he fucking bails on her the moment the spell wears off. But she's already has his kid, which is Voldemort. So he goes back to his village and uh, um, acts like none of it ever happened. Uh, Voldemort goes back and kills him later, I believe. Like when he's like a teenager. He goes and finds his dad and kills him in that village. So what they would have noticed at that time uh, was just a, a spell going off. And then when they got there, no one's around, right? Voldemort would have bailed by that point. So I had nothing to do. His parent or his family got in trouble for attacking the guy. I think they attacked him, but didn't kill him. And that's what they got arrested for. So it's separate instances. That's why you're getting confused. But, you know, either which way, the magical trace would have been, you know, Voldemort setting off a spell to kill the guy and then bailing, essentially. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think the trace was another interesting one where, like, they introduced it early on. And then they, they had this plot storyline with Dobby where he's casting spells and then they get Harry in trouble. And like, the thing that I get, I, I get confused by is how are they able to hold anyone accountable? Like they literally bring Harry up on charges and put him in front of like the ministry to like answer for his crime of casting a spell. And yet it's like, hold on a second. Can't you just explain that away by saying some other wizard did it? Like, how do you know I did it? But you know, basically what they, they, the way she writes it is the ministry doesn't really reveal their hand that they don't know that he's, he's, cast it and they're almost like trying to get him to confess it in some way to like pin him down. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a plot hole there. I think in just the courtroom part of it where it's like, how can you hold people accountable to that when you don't know that they did it or not? Right. In Harry's situation, I think it's a little easier for them and that's why he gets kind of in trouble. But yeah, well, that's all we had for the plot holes. Uh, if you guys think we missed any, feel free to reach out, engage with us, uh, yell at Tyler at Instagram. Challenge and, me. Uh, Challenge yeah. me. I dare you. You will not find something I won't have the answer to. I will. All right. There maybe were a few, but for the most part, <laughs> I'll blame JK Rowling every time I don't have the answer. Bad writing. Um, yeah. Do you want to go to recommendations? I know we already talked about the Friends Union in the Forest, but do you have any other things that you've been keeping up with that are worth a mention? You know, those are the big ones for me. Um, trying to think. I think Cruella just launched on Disney Plus, right? Have you given that a shot? So I have not. Uh, uh, no, it's coming out in theaters. I don't know if it's out on Disney Plus yet. But. I'm kind of tempted to go to a theater now. I was at the grocery store and people are having their masks off. Like they've dropped the guidance down and I'm kind of yeah, tempted so they've, to go to a movie theater. So they, they no longer are, are mandating people wear masks. Uh, a lot of employers are still are, but um, and a lot of a lot of facilities like uh, company like if you go to like an indie bookstore or something, they can still mandate that you wear a mask. Um, uh, yeah, I mean I'm I'm fully vaccinated on t- um, tomorrow. It was my two weeks. Congratulations! My so, um, welcome to the yeah. rest of your life. So uh, it'll be interesting. Um, it was Whether weird not, going to the yeah. store and seeing faces. Like like a third of the people there were not wearing masks. And it was kind of bizarre. Like it just was un, almost unsettling to go back a little bit. I didn't take my mask off, but I'm sure that's coming. But it's a little unsettling. Yeah. Even vaccinated okay. to like see people's faces in, in, in masks like that. But uh, but anyway, that's not for this podcast. But um, 
it'll be interesting for the return of movie theaters. Um, and I know a lot of the big movies are waiting to release. We've talked about a few of them. The Green Knight that I'm stoked for. Dune, I cannot wait for. Um, but Cruella just released, and you said it's going to be hit theaters too. So I think it's like they're doing Ra- uh, Rava or the, 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 the other film they did, where you can buy it on Disney Plus now for early access. And then in like three months, they will uh, release the film on on Disney Plus. So you can either go watch it in theaters or you can buy it uh, through Disney Plus. Hmm. But it will be. I'm not still sold on paying extra for a movie on Disney Plus. Right. When they're going to release it in two months for free. Exactly. Uh, Like I'll wait and get it. Like a lot of those movies, I get. I've waited. I've waited to watch Rava and it comes out in like four days. So um, I'm not going to go buy it. So I, I'm not going to go buy, go buy Cruella as well. Uh, I mean, if you, I mean, you I think you'll watch go, it. It looked like it's kind of interesting. Yeah, of course I'm going to watch it. Um, it's kind of getting some Devil Wears Prada vibes where it's all about fashion. and It looks fun. Like I, I like Emma Stone. I like Emma Thompson. Um, it looks fun. Uh, but I mean, if you go do a date night, tell us how it is uh, next week. I'm waiting for the bigger stuff. I'm looking for the bigger fish here. Holding out for something better. Dune and Green Knight and James Bond, whenever that comes up. Yeah. By the way, didn't they just get acquired? Uh, who? I think Amazon just bought this MGM. Oh, I didn't so see that. So James Bond, uh, they were saying they're going to pump out more James Bonds, but now they're like 50% owned by Amazon. Hmm. That's kind of a big acquisition, probably worth mentioning. Tyler probably would have mentioned it at the beginning, but you know, hey, that's why you got to be here. Instead of getting a butt tattoo. Uh, uh, any recommendations day. from Tyler? Any text you? Any, uh, any recommendations he wanted us to vocalize? Just just an all-day butt tattoo. It's why he couldn't make it here. Expanding um, uh, both cheeks. <laughs> they're, incorporating the the, they're, they're incorporating the cheeks into the design <laughs> on this one. So. Good God. Um, <laughs> no, I can't think of any funny recommendations for Tyler. The, the last one apparently wasn't even jokingly. He'd seen a bunch of documentaries, so I'm, I'm kind of I'm like manifesting things for him. Oh man, I've I've seen some documentaries recently. I'll, I'll throw out some in his stead. Um, let me pull them up. I was cranking through a few on HBO Max, which I watch them in the office when I'm sitting there by myself, just kind of working because it's still pretty much a ghost town there. And I got to tell you, it is hit or miss on whether there's going to be nudity, man. And I'm always diving to cover my phone. I really got to watch documentaries on a different app because. Because that one is definitely playing Russian roulette. Um, gosh, where are these? Can, is there like a recently watched? On HBO Max? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. I don't know. There was one know. about um, um, like the opioid crisis and how, um, you know, basically the uh, the medical industry like gets people addicted intentionally to get more sales which was just absolutely horrible um and i can't find the name of it at the moment but it's on hbo uh go watch it <laughs> whatever it's called uh let's see it should be right here it is called you're killing me I can't find it. All right. So anyway, it's yeah, it's it's one uh, about the opioid crisis, and then another one called Lucy the Chimp. Uh, damn good documentary about um, a chip, the chimp who at day two of her life, or like after birth, was taken by two scientists who wanted to kind of test the nature versus nurture theory, 
and raise her as a human. And she spends the first 11 years of her life being treated like a human being. And it's all about like what happens with her and then her eventual caretaker who takes over for those scientists and kind of like ties their lives together. It's pretty fascinating. Um, kind of look at that nature versus nurture argument of like, what would Lucy do? Obviously she can't talk like a human or, you know, and obviously she's not going to really want to wear clothes, but at the same time, like what human traits or, or choices does Lucy make because of her upbringing versus what it would have been in the wild. So right. absolutely fascinating one. I, I, didn't think it was going to be for me, but I clicked on it because I was thinking it was probably safe to think there was not going to be any nudity. And, and uh, I ended up getting totally, uh, you know, swept up in like the emotions of it all because, you know, this chimp is is, is just incredibly endearing. And, and like there's just shots of this, you know, chimp throwing sign language communication and very clearly being just so intelligent. It's, it's truly amazing. And, and you know. Uh, really takes you for a roller coaster ride on your emotions. So highly recommend Lucy the Chimp and whatever that opioid one was. I, I should have come prepared with that one, but uh, HBO Go, uh, Opioid Crisis documentary was pretty good too. I think it's HBO Max, not HBO Go. HBO uh, Max, sorry, HBO Max. Uh, yeah, on my side, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I started reading Seven to Eternity, Rick Remender's newest book. And I said new, but it's like two years old at this point. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's all about moral rigidity magic and uh good versus bad a, a journey across uh, a wasteland and very good probably i i would say recommender's best writing um yeah other than that uh playing marvel ultimate alliance again uh which is fun i, I haven't played since they introduced some of the newest dlc so i'm playing through that uh that's it for us today we will be back next week. I, I might not be. I've got a wedding i got to go to. Um, but yes, uh, is there anything you'd like to close out with, Brian? Yeah, I'll be there. My attendance is now challenging you. So you'll miss that too. Well, we'll see. I, I might call in or something. I'll, I'll figure no, out a way to be there. No, I think we're going to be uh, unavailable for that. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks uh, for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Bye.